Hi, this is August. Hi, August. You're in New York City, did you say? I'm in New York freezing right now. <laughs> Hello, and welcome to the Queer Core Podcast. My name is August Bernadiku, your humble host a 26-year-old gay historian. I've been interviewing LGBTQ activists since I was 14 years old. My calling is documenting the stories of those who came before us and helped create the life that so many of us are fortunate enough to enjoy. The Queer Core podcast is a celebration of my interviews, featuring both archival and new recordings. Our first episode featured Rumi Misabu, an original member of the gender-bending hippie drag performance troupe, the Coquettes. I like to say we were like the uh, little rascals doing Busby Berkeley on acid. If you haven't had a chance to listen, it's a little glimpse into Rumi's crazy kaleidoscope world. For the second episode, we'll leave the acid watch streets of San Francisco and go straight to church to repent our sins. Today we'll learn about Reverend Choi Perry, founder of the Metropolitan Community Church, the first gay church in America that now has over 40,000 members across the world. If you would have told me years ago that MCC would have ended up being one of the largest groups touching the lives of gays and lesbians worldwide, I would have called you a liar. Long before the Supreme Court legalized same-sex marriage, Reverend Choi Perry was fighting for the right. I thought, we're going to do everything any other church does. The first same-sex marriage he officiated was in 1969. In 1970, to take his fight further and push harder, he filed a lawsuit seeking legal validity for his illegal marriages. This wasn't his only lawsuit. The last one was in 2003, when he legally married his longtime partner, Philip, in Canada and returned to Los Angeles. He wanted his love to be recognized in his home. I'm one of the people that I know what the courts are there for. Before we go any further, I'd like to take a moment to thank our partner, Five Burroughs Brewing Company. The other day, I was sitting at the Christopher Street Piers in the hot spring sun, and I cracked open a tiny, juicy IPA by Five Burroughs Brewing Company. As a Hudson River breeze brushed against my face, every sip I took was better than the previous one. Do yourself a favor and go to fiveburrows.com and find the nearest store with taste that sells a delicious beverage by Five Burrows Brewing Company. It ain't Sunday, but let's go to church. While he has always been called to a life of spiritual service, growing up in North Florida in the 40s and 50s wasn't easy for Reverend Troy Perry. Faith wasn't enough. His father, described as the biggest bootlegger in Northern Florida, died fleeing the police when Reverend Troy Perry was 11 years old. After that, his mother remarried an abusive alcoholic man. The man that she married uh, just did not like me. My name was Troy Jr. My father was Troy. He did some very bizarre and weird things. 
and finally um, I ran away from home. During his formative years, Reverend Choi Perry experienced the radicalization of his Christian church. After running away and staying with his family in northern Florida, his Aunt Lizzie had a premonition that he would enter a spiritual life. We went to her little church during what we call in the Pentecostal churches the altar call. Um, I went forward like all of us did to pray, and she came over and laid hands on me. And she said, uh, I just received a revelation from the Lord. And she said, God is going to use you mightily, but not in the church you think. Reverend Troy Perry's aunt might have been right about her nephew's calling, but he wasn't about to shed his skin for her cause. My Aunt Lizzie Smithy, um, <laughs> you know, good Southern woman, helped found the snake handling churches in America. And I thought, well, if I've got to pick up a snake to go to heaven, I'm going to bust hell wide open. Venom aside, Reverend Troy Perry could not deny his calling. And at 15 years old, he was ordained a Baptist minister. I felt a call to ministry at a very young age, and I thought there were all kinds of young people like me, and I didn't realize until later in my life uh, that I was very unusual even for that time period. As different as he was from other boys' his age, Reverend Choi Perry was also different in another way. His first sexual experience was when he was nine years old with another boy his age. I had no role models. I thought I was the only person in the world that had the feelings that I did. At age 18, unable to deny his feelings towards men any longer, and seeking a life of honesty, he confessed his homosexual tendencies to the pastor at his church. The pastor had a solution. I said to him, I think I have a problem. And I didn't use the word homosexual. I knew what it meant, but I kept saying to myself, you're not a homosexual, no matter what you feel. But for about an hour, I talked around the mulberry bush, as I call it, and tried to make sure that he understood that I had an attraction to men. Finally, his eyes lit up, and he said, oh, my God. He said, I know what you're trying to tell me, and all you need to do is marry a good woman, and that'll take care of that problem. Well, I married his daughter. Reverend Choi Perry was married for five years and had two sons but he could never quite ignore the truth inside him, the voice telling him, this is not me. In his early 20s, a job opportunity brought him and his family to Los Angeles. He joined a small church as a pastor, and after just a short time in the City of Angels, his world began to open. One day, while on a walk, Reverend Choi Perry dipped into a curious bookstore. What he found would help him discover the words he had always searched for. I remember looking around and all at once for the first time in my life, 
I saw a physique magazine, and I always cut up and say today those were the good old days when they still wore bathing suits. But it was men, and my God, I knew, I looked, and I was uh, just embarrassed almost. I thought, my God, Troy, there is something different about you. Why are you so attracted to these photographs in this magazine? But I got some nerve up, and I went to the woman behind the counter, who I know today was probably a lesbian, <laughs> and I said, do you have any books on homosexuality? And she looked me up and down, and she said, well, I have a few. I said, give me a copy of everything you've got. And I wrote out a check for $18 and something cents. And that was a lot of money back then. But I took them back to the parsonage, and there were two things in that bag that really helped me. The magazine was called One, not the one with the physique. Uh, that was, you know, I had her put that in there too. But here was the one from a homophile group. Mm. And it let me know that I wasn't the only homosexual in the world. I was just shocked as I looked that there were communities of people like me. And the other thing was a book called The Homosexual in America by uh, Daniel Webster Corey. And uh, when I read that book, I, it just described me to a T. And I knew without, a, without another thing that I was a homosexual. Our young reverend read and reread his new collection of literature. He hid them under his bed, but their influence continued to be undeniable. Yet again, unable to keep his true self hidden and looking for answers, Reverend Choi Perry came out to his church's leadership. He was quickly removed by the bishop. The aftermath left him with no choice but to tell his wife. It was no surprise to her, because she had found a secret stash of homo lit months before under his bed. She said, I read the book, and it said that some homosexuals are married heterosexually and maybe we could stay together and I said no all I have is a label I don't know what I am really yet and I said until I find that out that's the way it's gonna be and I said I want to know what you want to do and she said well if we're not gonna stay together she said uh, I want to go back to my mom and dad and I said all right but, you know I went to the airport put them on the plane I had no idea I would not see my children, uh, one of them at least, till another 17 years. There's a price to be paid sometimes for coming out of the closet, but I wouldn't have done anything any differently than I did. Although he deeply mourned the loss of his family, Reverend Joy Perry knew he had made the right choice. His true self had been fighting to get out for so long bravely proclaiming itself to be rejected every time. Now it had room to breathe freely. He remembers the joy he felt going to a restaurant in Hollywood called Piccola's with his gay friend. There were other gay men, I could tell it in there. And uh, someone was there who was, I was so dumb. Uh, he was actually looking at uh, Madeline's son, but sends over another gay man 
you is say, hi, my name's Billy. And I just brightened right up. I thought, oh, this is wonderful. I'm meeting somebody, you know. And uh, we started talking, and then the person came over, and it was Willie Smith. Willie, who became my roommate. Um, we were not sexual partners ever, but we were the best friends in the world. This restaurant, like many other restaurants and bars around Los Angeles at the time, wasn't what you'd think of when you think of today's gay bars. Pre-Stonewall gay life was a matter of survival. Many states, including where Reverend Troy Perry grew up, enforced anti-sodomy laws. Being gay in public was forbidden. Gay men and women, congregating at bars and restaurants, were always under threat of violence and arrest. Undercover cops spotting a pat on the butt or same-sex kiss would quickly and violently shut the place down. It was around this time when Reverend Troy Perry met his first love. Like many first loves, it was brief, intense, and when it was over, the Reverend found an adversary worse than any he had ever faced before heartbreak. My partner walked out. I took a razor blade, climbed into a bathtub, cut both of my wrists. I said, you know, oh God, this just isn't fair. You can't love me, the church says. Uh, they say that you know, uh, I'm an abomination. Uh, the person that I was in love with has walked out of my life. I had the patty poos, and uh, I said, I just don't want to live anymore. And Willie Smith came home and knocked on the bathroom door, and when I didn't answer, he knew I'd been very depressed over the breakup, uh, and he broke down the door. Recovering in the hospital and drowning in his misery, Reverend Choi Perry returned to prayer. I felt what we called in the Pentecostal church, the joy of my salvation again. It was like I could feel God there with me. And I said, wait a minute, this can't be you, God. You can't love me. Uh, you know, my church has told me you can't because I'm still a practicing homosexual. That hasn't changed. And with that, I tell people 50 years later <laughs> that God spoke to me in a still small voice in the mind's ear and said to me, Troy, don't tell me what I can and can't do. I love you. I don't have stepsons and daughters. And with that, I knew I could be a Christian and a homosexual. And it took me a few months before it finally dawned on me. My God, if God loves me, then God has to love other gay people too. That was just a revelation to me. Coming to a new powerful place of self-love and reconnecting with the spiritual calling, Reverend Choi Perry felt a new commitment to his gay brothers and sisters. A police raid one night at a gay bar called The Patch 
cemented in him what he needed to do. Immediately, Lee Glaze, the owner of the bar, jumped up on this bar and said the vice had been here. And he said they arrested two of our, our friends. And he said, we're going to the police station. He said, we're going to get our sisters out of jail. That's what he said. And we got in cars, went to the police station. Lee was very effeminate. And he walked up to that counter. And I'm telling you, he said to the police officer, we're here to get our sisters out of jail. And the cops said, watch your sister's names. <laughs> and he said, Bill Hastings and Tony Valdez. Gay anger cannot be denied. The police eventually caved released his friends and dropped the charges. His first of what would become a lifetime of protesting injustice. The love that he had felt at the hospital began to rapidly grow outward. When I took uh, Tony back to my house, he broke down just crying and he said I've never been treated that way in my life and I said look I said Tony I want to tell you something here I'm trying to witness as we call it in the Pentecostal faith now to people and I said to him look even if I thought people didn't care God does and Tony laughed in my face crying through his tears said Troy I went to my priest when I was 15 years old told him about my feelings and he ordered me out of Catholic Sunday schools he said uh, uh, no Troy God doesn't care about me and he said would you take me home and I drove him home came back to my house and when I did um, I knelt and prayed and I said, all right, God, I think I found my niche in the ministry again. I can't find any place to go to church. And I said, if you want me to start a church that has a special outreach into the gay community, but open to everybody, you just let me know when. And with that, that still small voice in the mind's ears said to me, now. In 1968, Reverend Troy Perry founded the Metropolitan Community Church at his house in Huntington Park in Los Angeles. When Reverend Troy Perry told his roommate about the idea of establishing a radical Christian religion for downtrodden LGBTQ people, his response was again rejection. I said, Willie, I said, uh, I'm taking out an ad, I'm starting a church. He said, oh my God. He said, Troy, nobody's, what do you mean a church? He says, you're the only gay person I've ever met who wants to talk about religion. The MCC's first service was on October 6, 1968. And it was wonderful. There was one Jew with his Gentile lover. Uh, there was one person of color. There was one heterosexual couple. It was just amazing. I preached on um, the book of Job, the story of Job, where Job said, though God slay me, yet I'll trust God. And that was my feelings. God said God loved me, so God has to love all of you too. 
too. And um, then when we finished, when it was time for communion, only three people came forward. But you could cut the emotions with a knife. Everybody in the room was crying. And the next Sunday, as I tell people, we had 14 in attendance. And I said, oh, thank you, Jesus. Next Sunday, we had 18. And I said, oh, blessed be the Lamb forever. And next week, we had nine. And I almost died right in there. And uh, God seemed to speak to my heart and say, Troy, quit counting the crowd. Don't worry about that. And within a year and a half, we were running over a thousand in attendance in worship service here in Los Angeles. Just Heavenly Father, we come to you this day, O oh Lord, thanking you, God, for your divine mercies and your goodness. Lord, we ask, O oh God, that you would look down upon this assembled group, that you would anoint us this Sunday in Metropolitan Community Church. We know, O oh Lord, that you can move and that you can help when no one else can or will. We ask, O oh Lord, move now. Let your power and your goodness flow upon us. In your holy and your precious name we pray, amen and amen. I look back to October the 6th, 1968, and I ran into some of the people who were at that first service. And I said, what do you think? And they said, I can't get a seat. <laughs> Millions of stars placed in the sky by one God. One God. But bringing Christianity to LGBTQ people who had long felt judged and rejected by more fundamentalist beliefs was no easy task. In 1946, the translation team for the Revised Standard Version Bible mistranslated and haphazardly inserted the word homosexual. Reverend Troy Perry remembers the new edition entering his childhood church. To Reverend Troy Perry, this conflict between homosexuality and Christianity was not inherent to Christianity itself, but rather it was created by the prevailing power structures. The followers of Jesus Christ have not done good things always, but Jesus himself is who I follow. And it's very interesting, I know the word Christian comes from the name Christ, but as a Christian, I find that Jesus, as a gay person, um, never did any of the horrible things that's been done in his name. Another way that Reverend Joy Perry challenged the conventional relationships between LGBTQ people and Christianity was through his marriage ceremonies. He celebrated his first one in 1968. Time magazine described his marriages as the first public same-sex unions in the United States. He had one condition, though. Couples had to be together for six months prior to their marriage. His celebrations couldn't be a media sensation. They needed to endure. As if the Time Magazine visibility wasn't enough, he sued the state of California to recognize their validity. Tonight I'm feeling mean, I'm feeling mean. In those days 
I had attorneys out the yin yang who attended my church. So I gave them all, I said, do your homework. Tell me how we can do this. And uh, they found the law set, and it had never been taken off the books. And it was written in the 18, like right after California uh, became a, um, a republic. And it said that if there was a common law couple that a priest or clergyman could marry them and then the state would have to give them a license but you would marry them first and i married the two women and we took it to a judge in la who laughed us out of court and i thought buddy you're gonna i hope live to see this but i'm never gonna give up on this it might have been his first lawsuit but it sure wasn't his last in 2003 when toronto legalized gay marriage Reverend Troy Perry went there and married his longtime partner, Philip. By the time we got there, the press was waiting. And they all said, but when you go home, you won't be married. I said, to quote a very famous American cowboy, they'll take this wedding band off my cold dead hand. Upon their return to California, he sued the state of California in the Superior Court for recognition of his marriage and won. The state then appealed and his marriage was invalidated by the Court of Appeals. But Reverend Choi Perry, never giving up, continued his fight and took his case to the Supreme Court of California. Again, he won. His marriage was recognized for three months until Prop 8 was passed. Prop 8 took away the right for same-sex marriage. His marriage was again deemed legal when the United States Supreme Court legalized gay marriage in 2008. No judge laughs at me anymore. I've taken more cases to court. I'm one of the people that I know what the courts are there for. They're to be used if you have to. That's the last thing I want to do. But if they mess with us, we have to mess back. Perhaps one of the most obvious examples of his dedication to his community was on June 20, 1971, when members of the MCC marched 109 miles from Oakland to Sacramento in support of Proposition AB 437. AB 437 proposed the repeal of sex crime laws and sodomy statutes used to harass and discriminate against the LGBTQ community. We had uh, our going away demonstration that we held in San Francisco before we went over to Oakland. A young man jumped up on the stage and broke a beer bottle and tried to stab me with it. And um, there were cops. I had no idea the police department was there. There in plain clothes, jumped up on the stage, uh, took this young man down, you know what I mean. We marched across the state. The third day we were out, somebody shot entire camp. You said you were shot at? That's correct. What happened? And no one got hurt, right? Nobody got hurt.
Reverend Choi Perry fasted for three days on his trek across California, similar to the manna that God provided the Israelites when he led them through the Red Sea on dry ground and into the wilderness of sin. The Lord provided for Reverend Choi Perry and his marchers as they headed to Sacramento. As we arrived near Sacramento the night before, Sacramento Church came out to feed all the demonstrators. Two of the women uh, from our church, uh, Madeline Davis and Frida Smith. And uh, the next day of the demonstration, I'd ask the pastor to pick a woman to speak. And Frida Smith, my God, got up and was so incredible, I couldn't believe it. And Frida, after she, as she was speaking, all at once, something happened. <laughs> we claimed it as a miracle. It was a circular rainbow completely over the Capitol. Willie Brown, uh, African-American legislature, looked up and said, my God, I've heard of gay power, but this is ridiculous. Whenever I start interviewing these warriors who selfishly change the world, I forget that they're human. They seem to float above the rest of us. But then, after hours of interviews and knowing the intimate details of their lives, I realize that they walk on the same dirt paths that we all do. Sometimes they stumble, sometimes they fall, but they get up and they continue to march. In my first interview with Reverend Choi Perry, I asked him if he ever cries. He always seems so bright and carefree. He took a deep breath and brought up June 24, 1973, the day when 125 members of his New Orleans congregation were victims of a homophobic arson. The congregation was gathered at the upstairs lounge, a gay bar after mass. It was one of the deadliest attacks on the gay community prior to the 2016 Orlando Pulse nightclub shooting. 27 people died and 18 were injured. The police made matters worse with their insensitivity. I attacked the police department right off the bat. Uh, for what they said and what they did, they left our pastor's body in a window. Um, when they didn't have to, they could have removed that body. But it was like the police saying to the community, this could be you. Gay rights weren't gifted overnight. As the MCC's visibility increased, it became a target for arson. In 1972, fires destroyed the San Francisco MCC. And in 1973, the MCC's headquarters at South Union Avenue and West 22nd Street was destroyed by two separate instances of arson. When I saw it, I couldn't believe it. I just broke down crying. And uh, Willie Smith he came up and put his arms around my shoulder and he said, Troy, he said, um, everybody's watching you. You know, they're hurt, they're discouraged, and you've got to give them guts. And immediately I, uh, you know, thought, started thinking, my God, where are we going to hold church? And I decided, well, we're going to hold it right here in the streets next to the church building. Sunday morning, uh, I didn't know if anybody would come to church. I mean, I really didn't. And uh, the people started gathering. 
Like a phoenix, Reverend Choi Perry rose from the ashes. He proudly proclaimed his privilege when he told me, I have had the honor of being arrested in front of the White House, and I've been invited to the White House by three presidents. when you have to fight hard and you have to get in their face to know us is to love us i've always said too uh, about the gay and lesbian community the bi transgender all of us and i say that over and over again that uh, we can't back away from being who we are from a historical standpoint the evolution of the mcc is miraculous its rapid expansion and consistent impact is unmatched by most modern religions. The church now has over 40,000 members and almost 300 churches in 22 countries around the world. You would have told me years ago that MCC would have ended up being one of the largest groups touching the lives of gays and lesbians worldwide. I would have called you a liar, but we did because we just kept doing the work we felt like we had to do. And that, in the middle of all that death and dying, debating people who were, you know, saying, uh, God's gift to heterosexuals is herpes. My answer to that, of course, when I debated Jerry Farwell on Canadian television, was, uh, you know, <laughs> what an awful God you serve who gives one class of people in the itch and the other death and you call that fair. While the times have changed, and for many of us are better, they are not perfect. Several people coming out of or going into Christianity understand that there are intrinsic limitations. The reflection forever remains. How do we take the crucial parts out of our organized religion when our organized religion validates our persecution? Spirituality is so important to all of us. Not religion always, but spirituality is. And it's spirituality that I teach in Metropolitan Community Church. August from the Queer Core podcast. I want to thank all of you and our partner, Five Burrows Brewing Company, for helping bring this project to life. Our next episode will feature the most dangerous gay activist alive, Don Kilhefner, co-founder of the LA LGBTQ Center, the model of the world, and co-founder of the Radical Fairies. The Queer Core podcast is produced by Chris Coates, and myself, and is edited by Chris Coates. Our theme song is Silicon Valley by Silka Berlin and the Addictions. The song Opposite World is by The Mutants and written by John Golick. The recordings of Reverend Troy Perry's sermons 
and the gospel songs come courtesy of the Metropolitan Community Church. Thanks again, everyone, for listening. Please share and tag us with the hashtag QueerCorePodcast. Until next time, peace out. Peace out.